Hello and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedians podcast. I'm your host, Paula Wiseman, and today I am lucky enough to be chatting with writer, stand-up, actor, podcaster, blogger, the list goes on. It's Michael Legg. How are you, Michael? I think I'm all right. I think the list very much grinds <laughs> to a massive halt. <laughs> I've never acted. Take I them credits. Act. Well, you know, you've you've done a bit of te- you've done some telly. Let's let's class that I as mean, acting. I've, I've done, yeah, but not. It's not like I've been an Inspector Morse. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, I've done, I've done, I've done a little bit of telly. I've. Um, are you allowed to brag about this? I've done stand up on Russian telly. You can brag as much that, as you it. like. This is this is what but this is, is for. It is quite weird, isn't it, to be able to do a studio uh, TV show in Russia, in Moscow, <laughs> and um, do quite frankly your Mrs. Brown's boys. <laughs> who absolutely have no idea what Mrs. Brown's boy is and for it to go down well. So, you know. And escape with your life and not be in jail. Exactly. But I think there is something about uh, the universal loathing of the banal that it it doesn't even matter that you haven't seen Mrs. Brown's boys. (laughs) There will be an equivalent to Mrs. Brown's boys in Russia and it'll probably be like, Eating Swede or something like something <laughs> fucking dismal <laughs> that they have to do in Russia. But anyway, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Uh, it's an it's, yeah, an, it's a, been a great podcast. Thanks for having me, Paula. It's been great talking <laughs> yeah, to you. And good night. Goodbye. <laughs> Save that for later. Save that for later. We need we need a good outro. So usually I chat. I start off by chatting about childhood. It's something we don't generally know too much about our favourite comedians' childhood, you know, the childhoods and growing up and stuff. So you were born in uh, Newtonards in Northern Ireland. No, you wouldn't born, yeah. You wouldn't tell it from your, your accent. It's very, it's a bit, um, well, you know, I mean, I mean it's, in the nicest sense of the word, but it's a bit all over the place. I don't know if, um, I mean, uh, the last thing I want to do is um, reveal a truth to you that perhaps you know well, you know about, but are perhaps concealing within yourself, but the English uh, believe in indoctrination. <laughs> and when I came to England, I had to give up my accent. Um, <laughs> and that was taken from me, along with everything else, by the English. Oh, the my bastard goodness. English, sorry. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. Uh, no, I've been over here too long, so um, my accent's gone weird. But that's not... It's not the only reason I don't particularly have a very strong Northern Irish accent. Although, if you and I were to have an argument, and I sincerely hope we never do... Um, you, my accent comes firing back uh, on all cylinders. But here's the thing. It's not the only reason. Being Living in England is not the only reason that I don't have a strong North Irish accent. Um, my parents, well, I'm, I'm the fifth child. Mm. I'm the youngest of five. And they were young when they had all their kids. Mm. Like I was, I think my dad was 29 and my mum was 30 when I came along. And quite frankly, they were fucking exhausted. <laughs> And they just put me in front of the TV and couldn't give a shit. So, so my accent is, is sort of a mix between, you know, Ian Paisley and Brian Kant. Really. So, somewhere in the, in, in the middle of that. It's weird. The old accent thing is very weird, isn't it? I mean, I'm in Dublin now and I've been in Dublin for 20 years. And people are like, oh, you haven't lost your accent. But I've always kind of been, you know, how could you lose an accent? You'd kind of, surely you'd gain something from... Wherever, think, wherever think, you move to. I think the difference between you and I is, though, um, I mean, is that um, wherever you go in the world, keep in mind I moved in 1989. Mm. And if, if you had moved anywhere and you were from Northern Ireland, 
no one would understand because there was no TV representation. <laughs> yeah, there yeah, true. I, I mean, even even you know members of Sinn Fein, uh, <laughs> their voices were replaced uh, by you know by other voices. So um, it, it's there's um, yeah there was no strong Northern Irish representation. I mean, there is now. Well, fairly strong anyway. But when I came over, I mean, I was just... It was just so boring after a while having to fucking slow down. Like, <laughs> you know what? If you want me to fucking speak like you, I'll fucking speak like you. And it's it. And look at look at lovely um, Sir Kenny Branagh. Indeed. I, like, I mean, they broke him. Yeah. You know, and if they could break... I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he's, a, you know, a, a Northern Irish hero. Uh, and yet he came over here and... Um, I think when he was 14, and I think by 16, um, he was speaking like a Windsor. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Like, I think, it's, yeah. It's, an, it's an accent that I think a long time ago, you just sort of had to change a bit. Mm. Yeah. And not everyone. I, I, I'm, I really admire people who didn't, and I regret that I've handed my accent in. I really miss it, and I want to go back home uh, when I hear that accent. I, I I sort of love it, really. Um, yeah, I wish I hadn't given it up. I regret it. I yeah. regret it. <laughs> I can still hear little, little, you know, little bits of it. Oh, but I mean, there. does it oh, change? Does it change when you go home? Oh yeah, yeah. Or even, even if I speak to my parents on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been with friends, you know, and I go, oh, my mom's called. I'll just, and I'm like, all right, mom, how's it going? And it's just there, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I. I'm not like um, John Barrowman, who's mental. Oh, yeah. And, Just and switches. he's Scottish sometimes. <laughs> you know, I am genuinely Northern Irish, so I'm not putting <laughs> the accent on. It's just I have two accents, and they both live inside my... <laughs> and I, I, I don't need to control them. They control themselves, yeah. depending on who I'm speaking to. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so, so growing up in Northern Ireland, uh, were, you, were you a quiet kid? Were you, were you quite boisterous? Very quiet, very quiet kid. Um, not at all boisterous. I didn't, like, especially at school, did not really like anyone else. So I suppose in that way... <laughs> I'm very similar to the much older Michael. Um, yeah, no, very quiet. In fact, um, I've spoken about this a couple of times. The, the best heckle I've ever had in my life was uh, a couple of years ago. It was maybe about five years ago. Um, I was doing the stand in Glasgow. Mm. And I'm on stage at the stand in Glasgow. And I think I've been on stage for two minutes. And I got a heckle from the back of the room. Just got, Michael, what are you doing? <laughs> and it was someone who I went to school with. <laughs> And I hadn't seen her in all that time. And she just, it just blew her mind. That, but Michael doesn't speak. What is he doing? On, and it's a brilliant heckle to get anyway. What are you doing? But, um, but to have it from someone who you haven't seen since you were 16. I used to go to school with someone called Michael Egg. There's a coincidence. Yeah, that's true. She, she never would have, well, she didn't. She just never expected it. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so you're, you're from five, one of five, as you said. I mean, does obviously yeah. it impacts, I suppose, you know, how boisterous you are. If you're the you're, if you're the youngest child, you're probably going to be a bit more boisterous, I suppose, than the, the eldest. No, but, but but that's the thing I didn't need to be mm. because um, or my siblings were really excited that there was a, a baby and a <laughs> little kid in the house because um, there's there's a four year gap between me and my sister, right. and yet all the other siblings have two years. Yeah, them. so there's just enough. Like my eldest sister is ten years older than me, so you can imagine a ten-year-old having a baby brother 
would have been phenomenal, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so I got, I mean, there's there's less of a gap between my nieces and me than mm. there is between my sister and me. So in many ways, you know, I'm sort of, uh, you, you know, it, I wouldn't say I'm any closer to my nieces, but I, I feel like I grew up with my nieces. Yeah. Slightly more than I did with my older uh, my eldest sister, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe your parents yeah. needed needed a rest between you and uh, your sister. You they, they had they had four years. They had four years of rest, <laughs> and then they were ready to bang again. Let's pop another one out. Yeah. Yeah. So what? So what was the plan for? You're in school. You're like nobody sort of plans to become a stand up or a comedian when you're at school. So I mean, of course not. What was what was the plan? Were you a train driver, fireman. No, I mean either priest or civil servant. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I suppose yeah. so. Yeah, I mean, um, I th- there's no plan. Uh, I had no idea that university existed mm. until I moved to England. Um, when some people, were, oh, what uni did you go to? And I didn't even know what uni was. I went, I'm sorry, what what does that mean? <laughs> and when they said university, of course, I'm like, oh, I'm like, all right. Oh, I forgot how lazy the English are. I mean, that word is tricky so university all right then uh and no there was no plan there was never any plan in fact if anything your parents make the plan for you well mm. they did sort of like you know in good old working class Vietnam, because that all my mom cared about was that you've got to get a job got to get as soon as you leave school got to get a job there was no such thing as even a thought of um further education yeah uh, you know i do you know i regret a lot in my life paula but i I don't bitterly regret much, uh, but that is something I bitterly <laughs> regret. I should, I should have gone to university. I, I hate that I didn't. I mean, I wasn't smart enough to go, but I like to think that, you know, there's loopholes in these systems and that some of us idiots can somehow uh, get our way into university. But, I mean, no, it, it, there was never any plan. Mm. I left school and um, I got a job in a furniture shop. I did furniture and electrics. And... Um, uh, it was one of those, you know, YTS schemes or YTP, I think they're called over here. I can't remember. Uh, it's one of the two. I'm, I'm getting either here or there mixed up. You know. <laughs> and um, and the, the pay was £35 a week. Wow. But my my pay was, I think, about £150, £160 a week because I was stealing. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was stealing oh CD players and all goodness. sorts of equipment and selling it out of the back. Yeah. Uh, you know, ridiculously um, marked down prices. So, <laughs> so I was a thief really for about a year, and then, um, and then I got to finally work. I, I left that job, or that job left me, should mm. I say, because it was a YTS game thing. And at the end of the fifty-one weeks, because that's all they can employ you for, I got to finally work with my peers, which is the dead. So I worked in a morgue. Oh my god! Yeah. So. Um, uh, that was no one should work in a morgue. No, that, that, that's my, <laughs> like you wouldn't that's even my choose life. that job. Yeah, you know, surely you wouldn't. No, no, I didn't. I didn't uh, so what were you doing? What were you doing in the in the morgue? I was I was sorting out autopsy photos. That was oh my, my job God. because basically they they walk around taking photos of autopsy, and it's basically you know like a a Polaroid camera, and the the photo would fall to the floor. And because they're doing all sorts of other things, they can't. Now, fuck it, someone else is going to plate them and mark them properly and put them into the right order and and say exactly what's in the photo. And that was that was my job for again fifty one weeks. 
So you spent a lot of time on the floor, basically. For... <laughs> a lot of time on the floor near, near dead people. Oh, my God. I never, I never really saw any dead people, though. They're always covered up. They're very demure, the dead. Yeah, but even photos uh, they, of the they, dead is it's not nice, is it, you know? Yeah, yeah, it was really horrible. I've got some really, 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 like, honest to God, gruesome stories. <laughs> Perhaps is not the right place uh, on this podcast. <laughs> Maybe if you ever do one of your podcasts like, it's some sort of weird late night version <laughs> or Halloween. Have me back on. Because honestly, I'll scare the shit out of you. Really, turns out being dead is really terrible. And, and you shouldn't die, everyone. Just that's my advice. Yeah. Well, you don't think when you die that people, there's going to be a lot of people looking at you when you're, do you know what I mean, when you're just laid out on a table. Uh, long story short, Paula, I went to uh, a pub with a bunch of medical students who had been working, who'd been sort of observing dead bodies. And when one of them went to the loo, everyone else, all the <laughs> medical students were all laughing. And I didn't understand what they were laughing at. And then I realised one of them had put a severed cock into his pint. Oh, my God. So what I'm saying is, <laughs> don't die. Don't die. Because you're just a student's practical joke. <laughs> That's horrific. The thing is, a severed cock doesn't look like a severed cock. You really have to squint to figure out what it is. It probably looks like a, a finger, maybe, to a lot of people, depending yeah, on your... Exactly what I've said to people. It looked like a knuckle, a big knuckle. <laughs> oh, God. Or, or, to be fair, to a, a medium-sized knuckle. So how do you go from uh, working in a mortuary to, uh, you know, to, to stand-up? <laughs> what? To light entertainment. <laughs> Indeed. Well, what happened to me was um, I moved to England, uh, specifically London, which isn't that specific, is it? Uh, and I got uh, a civil service job uh, and then I got uh, another job working for this company called Northern Ireland Media and it was while I was working in Northern Ireland Media which literally is a job that um, I did not respect enough because um, it was a really good job I was at um, the very first peace talks that led up to the signing of the Good Friday Agreement and also I'll have you know I delayed the Good Friday Agreement (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I did. I did. I delayed it twice. Once by standing in John Hume's way. And, and the other time by forgetting to photocopy a load of fucking notes. That uh, so, yeah, I, I delayed um, I delayed peace in Northern Ireland. Um, yeah, anyway. There's worse things to be known for, I suppose. There is, there is worse things. It's a comedian, I think. I went on holiday. And when I came back, something terrible had happened. Because here's the thing. I, I didn't like working there, even though I look back on it now and go, actually, that was a job I should have enjoyed. Uh, but I didn't enjoy it. And when I got back from this holiday, the only person that I worked with that I liked had left a note on my desk. And he said, <laughs> hey, Michael, hope you enjoyed your holiday. I've quit. Goodbye. <laughs> and I just went, oh, fuck, if he's quit, then I'm quitting. So I handed him my notice that day. And I gave a three-month notice, which I think you'll agree is quite cowardly. Um, so I said, uh, in three months, I'm leaving. And during this three months, and it was, it was fairly close to the, to the line, really. It was definitely after two months. So I had less than a month to go. And I got a phone call from someone who then became my agent. But it was um, someone had given the wrong phone number. Um, a friend of mine had given my number instead of a stand-up comedian called Michael. And so this person who became my agent, Rang up and went, hello, is that Michael? And I went, yeah. <laughs> went, um, you stand-up comedian? I went, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Went, are you free tonight? Yeah. <gasps> uh, yeah, and so I 
I got that phone call at three and I was on stage at five. Oh, my so, God. So I had two hours notice to become a stand-up comedian. Um, and I, <laughs> I advise any listener to take that route as well. I think, I think thinking about st- doing stand-up must be terrifying. I'm really glad I never had to go through that. I'm glad I was just pushed into it. Because um, <laughs> I think if I thought about it... Yeah. I th- here's the thing. Uh, all those years ago, people have said to me, oh, God, you must have been shitting yourself. But I wasn't because I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. I, d- I, d- I wasn't prepared in any way. So I didn't, I had no fear. Yeah. And I, w- I went on stage and I had a brilliant time. But here's the thing. Now that I know what dying on my arse is like, <laughs> I, like, I would shit myself knowing. Like, if, if, I, if I'd known that night what, uh, what, like long train journeys back from Aberystwyth after you've died. <laughs> I'd say some of this morning. Hindsight, hindsight is a funny thing, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Whether you'd, if you yeah. could go back in time, whether you would change, you know, something so, something so big in your career, really yeah. that for, that first time. Yeah, I mean, but the, the first because um, the first job I had as a stand-up was a TV warm-up. So mm. that, that was a TV warm-up. Which is much easier than doing straight stand-up, if you like, because you can get away with no material, which I had no choice because I had no material. And it wasn't... It, it, after that, once I started to get material, that's when it got hard. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit, this is really difficult. Oh, Christ, I, I've got to think up some, yeah. some to say. And, like, and like, it was really good. That, 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 that first gig, the, the TV warm-up, what was great about it was... Um, Afterwards, they said, oh, brilliant. Um, do you want to be our warm-up man? And they gave me something like 70 gigs. Yeah, so, so to have those 70 gigs like in a year, when I didn't have to do an open spot, mm. when I didn't have to do five minutes at some club where I was terrified, and I could see professional comedians going on before me, yeah. and I knew that this was, I'm nowhere near as good as them. No one went on before me. I was it. <laughs> and um, so I had nothing to compare it to. Um, and I went on stage and I fucked about and I talked to the audience and that was it. So what sort, um, of, t- what sort of TV were you were doing warm-ups for? It was, it was one TV show called mm. um, The Jack Doherty Show, which was on Channel 5. Oh, we love Jack. And, love Jack. Yeah, no, he's, he's a great guy. Uh, really, really, really lovely fella. And he was great fun to hang out with. And uh, it, was, it wasn't... The greatest TV show in the world. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> a lot of the guests were fucking appalling. Um, uh, but I did. I don't know how sweary I can get on this. You can podcast, be as sweary as you like, Michael. Okay, you can bleep out anything. But one of the, if, if there is a proud moment, I'd say I'm very fiercely anti-Tory. I fucking hate the cunts. Um, and... <laughs> And I was so lucky that it, there in 1999, when I started, um, one of the guests, well, two of the guests, was Edwina Curry <laughs> and her daughter. And I can't remember who else was on the the bill, but I get the feeling one of them was Gareth Hunt, the actor. And I'm pretty sure it might have been Neil Hannon from The Divine Comedy. But whatever it was, I during my warm-up, they were all sitting on the sofa, so because they were all getting like the camera checks and stuff. And so and I went, look at these guests that we've got tonight. Look, it's Neil Hannon and everyone. <laughs> and look, 
And look, it's it's Gareth Hunt. Yay! And everyone applauded. And look, it's Cunt and Cunter. Oh, no. And, and I, you know, if nothing else, I've got, I, I got to say that to their faces. Because <laughs> um, they, they were terrible people. And what reaction did you get? <laughs> oh, okay, got got a big cheer and a big round of applause for the audience. No one likes them. They were horrible. Well, I say were, are. <laughs> horrible people. And, oh my uh, god! You know, if, if nothing, else, maybe that was the peak of my career. Who knows? I think oh, that's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, Neil Hannon, uh, friend of the friend of the podcast. Known Neil for a long time. He's a good boy. Oh really? Oh, that's good. Well, then he might remember it. If I've got it right that he was on, I get the feeling he was though. I think I remember he was on with Edwina Curry. I think if I if I remember oh, well, rightly, because yeah, I know he there was on. Go. He did the Jack Doherty show. Uh, yes, he did. Many moons ago, he did. Yes, I distinctly remember it because he was doing. He was pushing Finn de Sickle. I'm sure. Indeed, I'm yeah, fantasy Eckley. Yes, yeah. we. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. And uh, and and I was a I was a really 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 big fan, so I was a bit overawed. Oh, he's lovely. He's a good boy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and as, as you can tell, that the Divine Comedians podcast has kind of stolen its its name from. Uh, from oh well, then I'm from the Divine Comedy, so uh, I have Neil's blessing for the for the I, podcast. I'm delighted I brought him up. Then. There you go. <laughs> um, so, for anyone that's listening today um, that isn't familiar with your stand up, how would you describe your style, your your um, persona? Gentle, caring, yeah, reflective. That's what I thought. Whimsical. <laughs> Uh, child friendly. Um, it's 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 difficult for me to describe it because I tell you, I mean it's very straightforward really in, in most ways. Um, it's just you know I've got a lot of um, complaints to make, <laughs> and, and I like to make those complaints clear. Uh, but I what I think is slightly unfair, but but I get it. But it is it's only slightly unfair. Is that oh here comes. Here comes angry comedian Michael X. Well, why aren't you fucking angry about these things? Why am I? Why am I thought of as the angry? But do you hear what I'm talking about? Why aren't you angry about this? And also, I, I don't think I'm that angry. I don't know. A lot of people just don't have the balls. That don't have the balls to do it, do they? I think. But what? What do I do that's so fucking? I, I just complain. <laughs> I mean, I thought the British were supposed to be. Oh no, the British are terrible at complaining. Terrible. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. That's my. That's my. That proves my Irishness. Because now we're really good at complaining, and I'm fucking great at complaining. Um, well, no, but um, you're just saying what other people are thinking, but they're too too scared to uh, to say it. You know. Sometimes, sometimes I think that's true. Um, but uh, but like the last sort of proper full length show that I did was um, was about sort of the was about Brexit and its impact on the Good Friday Agreement, mm. which we're seeing today um, with the um, with the votes and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I think, I think it's fair to say that most of the subjects that I would talk about, I think, are worthy of anger and being and complaining. But uh, uh, equally, I see there's loads of it that really fucking aren't. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's safe to say that, you know, having a routine about, you know, someone sitting on the tube with their legs folded the wrong way. <laughs> I think, like, it's they're not hurting me, but it just annoyed me. It's annoying. Oh, me. we've all got them little things, haven't we? It's, just, it's something really, really stupid, but it just, oh, just really gets your back up. You know, mm. and you're just like, I won't, I'm not going to say anything because people think I'm being a dick, you know? Yeah. 
I don't think that's generally... I don't know how you were during lockdown, Paula, but I sort of love lockdown because I, it legitimised my complaining to people. <laughs> um, I used to really love going out. You, you know that... You know the way we all thought we it's like we were in prison. Yes. You know, you're you're allowed out for a walk for an hour. <laughs> right. Right. So so I would go out for my walk, but I just walk constantly walk past people two meters. <laughs> and and the thing is, I, I enjoyed it. I really loved it. I really loved telling people off. And people getting sort of offended, especially when they got angry about it. Because I I would be like, well, I haven't done anything wrong. Why are you the one that's all angry? <laughs> and so I, I turned my anger into some sort of weird passive aggression that really had very little passive in it. Yeah, yeah. I'm always um, like curious as to how, you know, obviously each comedian has their own persona and how your, whether your persona chooses you. No, they don't. Well, not you know, every, do you know what I mean? You know, period. you know, when you've got your Jack D's who are, you know, he's, yeah. de- he's dead panting and Jimmy Carr mm-hmm. just, in- just insults everybody. You know, sure. a lot of comedians have their own. You can kind of describe them in a couple of words. Yeah. Dickheads. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you can, that as two words. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, it's, I'm sure a lot of comedians probably feel um, misunderstood or mis. Represented. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I. I feel that way, but uh, it's not justified. <laughs> I. I. Do, I mean, honestly, you see, when I, when I uh, read anything, go angry comedian. I got from <laughs> which, which only proves them right. You know. Oh dear. So, I mean, what do, what do you think of the, the the comedy scene at the moment? Do you think um, it's a good general? It's good. Ge- good generally. No, I don't. Um, I don't think it's generally good because there's a massive problem on the comedy circuit that uh, that really, in in some ways, shouldn't be talked about because hopefully it'll just go away at mm. some point. But I'm sick of um, I'm sick of fucking right wing comedians. I fucking hate them, and especially <laughs> especially the right wing comedians who don't know the right wing comedians. Um, they're fucking tedious. To anyone using the, I'm not right wing. I'm libertarian. What you mean? You're a fucking Nazi. <laughs> it's it's. I'm. I just fucking hate them. I fucking hate the idea of anti woke. It's just tediously dull and so fucking boringly reactionary. And it's it's just every single thing that I thought the comedy circuit wasn't. I thought mm. when I first started to enjoy stand up as a fan. What's happening to the circuit was is the exact thing that the comedians I liked were railing against. Yeah, yeah. But now it seems like a lot of comedians are, are, seem to be the, into into the very things that I thought we shouldn't. But the good thing is, I don't think many of them are that big, you know. So it's yeah. not. I think it will fizzle out. Uh, and and also, I think you know, once once you become that comedian. You've you've limited yourself mm. so much to gigs that you can get and where you can go with that. You know, uh, th- there are some comedians I really respect that have done um, GB News, and I don't wish them. I don't wish any of the comedians who've done GB News any any bad. I hope they do well, but but they're fucked, aren't they? <laughs> I don't know where you go after GB News because. <laughs> 
you know, unless, you know, there is some sort of just, unless Jim Davidson takes over BBC or something like that. I don't, <laughs> and actually, actually the BBC is a little bit. That's probably happening in, a, in an alternate yeah, universe. It probably <laughs> is. It probably is. <laughs> anyway, so it's quite a boring answer to your No, question. but it's, it's, it's interesting. Do you know what I mean? It's not something people generally talk about, you know. that. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, I, I'm, I, I'm enjoying gigs. Mm. And I'm enjoying um, I'm enjoying my time on stage, which and I have to thank lockdown for that because definitely, with the exception of solo shows, mm. I wasn't really enjoying the stand-up circuit anymore. Um, and I probably needed a break, and as fate would have it, a break was given to me. Did you go on to Zoom or work in lockdown? Bit, just a little bit, and I wasn't good at it, and I mm. hated it. Uh, some people were really brilliant. Some people really took to lockdown brilliantly. You know, it, it's been great to see all those videos that so many people made on mm. TikTok, Instagram, stuff. I I couldn't do it. Um, I gave I gave some Zoom gigs a go, and it was clear it wasn't for me. And I I hate that. You know, I I wish I could have done it. I wish I could have done it better. Uh, so what I did was I did nothing. Um, and I thought, I'll, I'll do nothing for a while and see if that helped. But the thing is, it did help. Yeah. It did help. It helped just to go, uh, do you know what? Until the world sorts itself out, I think I'll just, you know, not do anything. And it was lucky because I um, uh, I just finished doing sort of um, a podcast that was pretty successful mm. to do the right thing. And we, we got, we finally got paid for doing it. And I'll be honest with you, that money plus I, I, I did voiceovers. I just thought, I don't really need to do anything. Mm. And really, to be honest, lockdown could take its time fucking ending. Because <laughs> I'm quite happy. <laughs> uh, you know, I realised uh, not, not everyone was as lucky as me, but, um, but I quite liked it. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with Zoom gigs. Do you know what I mean? You've got no, there's no audience interaction, is there? You're just basically talking uh, to yourself and you're not getting any sort of feedback. Yeah. From the people that are watching, yeah, because it was often you couldn't you couldn't hear an mm, audience and you yeah. couldn't see an audience, so it was just mental because I was in the room that I'm in now, mm. standing up doing stand up to, to nothing. <laughs> it must be. I mean, don't get me wrong, Paula, I'm used to that, but at least <laughs> at least there's people staring blankly at me. You know, um, at least I know where I am with the the blankers. Let's yeah. call them that. No, but you wouldn't even know how a joke falls. Do you know what I mean? You don't know. You don't get that feedback that you'd immediately get at a, when you're doing on when you're on stage. Yeah, I mean, anything could have happened to the audience. Like I could be yes. doing my stand-up, and every member of the audience could have been <laughs> shot dead, and I'd not know. And there I am carrying on in have your you bunker. Noticed? Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's crazy. But I mean, you've had a, quite a quite a diverse career. You, you've done a lot of sketch shows. Over the years, um, some radio, obviously podcasting, writing. So, do you, do you have you got a favourite aspect of what you do? I mean, I know you're kind of you're known for your for your stand up work, but do you have a favourite um, aspect I, of your? Here's work? the thing: I like um, I like working with other people. So, do the right thing probably is uh, the most. It's probably my favourite thing that I've done. Mm. But um, but equally, as much as I love it, and I really love the sketch uh, stuff that I've done with them. Um, sketch group called The Trap. We um, we used to do a thing called uh, Los Cuatro Cunts that um, <laughs> was uh, really great fun because 
you know, it, it, it was it was during a time where there was still a lot of sketch live sketch comedy. Yeah. And we were sort of we were sort of taking the piss out of everyone else who was doing live sketch comedy. So I mean that was a lot of fun. And and uh, uh, but but then you know what's what when especially the last solo show I did, which was at the Edinburgh Fringe, uh, and I was on stage at st- Stand One, the proper stand venue in mm. Edinburgh, uh, which is the dream venue to play. It's absolutely. It's it's the best room for stand up, I think. Well, full stop. Um, and to be able to perform there every day for a month was phenomenal. And to get audiences and to be doing it completely on my own, mm. I just thought, well, maybe, maybe I do prefer this because I don't really like sharing, Paula. Why <laughs> share any of the exactly. glory when exactly. I can have every single bit of it? Why <laughs> give glory to Margaret Cayborn Smith when I can keep it all to myself? <laughs> That's the thing. If you can do lots of different things, do you know what I mean? You can dip in and out and do a bit of voiceover, a bit of stand-up. Voiceover is a great thing to do if you, you know, like, you know, money. Uh, <laughs> and I do, you know, I like money enough. And, you know, I, it, it's like I'm not a highly paid voiceover artist at mm. all. I'm very much, a, 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 you know, a jobbing voiceover artist in the same way that in many ways I'm a jobbing comedian. Um, but, uh, but the great things to do if you if you decide for instance oh i want to do sketch comedy for a while well that won't make me any money yeah well that's great well i'll do some voiceovers <laughs> so you know um sometimes you've got to you know plug sainsbury's opening and opening in glen gorman you know or whatever uh to to, to, to afford to be <laughs> that's what you get for being so versatile michael and you know exactly i can do two things could do so many things so in the past i mean talk about voiceover you've often been compared facially to mr dave gorman and obviously michael sheen yeah. uh help help or help or hindrance um uh, neither it's well, it's just a, a fucking annoying <laughs> but, um, i was with them um, you you must you must know of uh quite frankly the star of practically all comedy podcasts andy mccage you must have, oh yes you must know oh of andy course McCage. of course Great, Andy McGage, um, a great fella. Um, he, he he came to a gig that I did fairly recently, at the King's Head in uh, Crouch End, London. And during the interval, I think it was during the interval, a guy came up and asked um, if he could get his photograph taken with me because his wife is a really big fan of Simon Pegg. I mean, I don't, I don't see the connection between the two. But I, like at one point, I remember the guy just going, "Oh, are you not Simon Pegg?" I'm like, "No." And he went, "Are you not?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I am." So I just confused him. Like, anyway, that's the thing. Either you're a liar, so you're, you're Simon I, Pegg trying to hide your identity. Yeah. Also, I don't look like him. Not really. I look, I look, I look a tiny bit like him. Like I think, it, and also I don't speak like him. I don't no. move like him. No, surely you would go. Oh, that's definitely not him. No, I think people. I think. Do you know what? We live in an era where people believe what they want. Yeah. Uh, so it's just one of those things. I could easily have ruined uh, Michael Sheen, Dave Gorman. And, uh, <laughs> just I've been an absolute asshole. <laughs> yeah, no, I, can, I can see the Dave Gorman thing a little bit. Yeah. 
<laughs> what, what in what in what way can you see it? Do you mean I've got a beard? Uh, no, I think, it's, I don't know, I think it's, it's in the eyes, maybe. Um, do you maybe. know what? I, when I first met Dave, um, someone uh, like, like this must be 1999. Mm. Someone, Dave and I were just standing at the back of um, the Fox in uh, Wimbledon after mm-hmm. doing a gig. And um, someone passing just went, oh, my God, you two look alike. And Dave really quickly just went, I'm thinner. (laughs) All right, then, mate. (laughs) I always thought that was funny. Oh, dear. So so you you said recently uh, that you have the the most uncomfortably funny story to tell on the, the, the comedy circuit you were talking on Facebook the other day. And I'm intrigued as to this, <laughs> this uncomfortably oh, funny story. Do you know what the story is yet? No. People oh, need to okay. people need to know. Well, this will be... Uh, I hate to tell you this, Paul, this is not an exclusive because this is the second podcast I will be telling this. <sighs> and I'm going to tell the story. I'm not going to explain any of the characters. We've got a better listenership on this podcast. You so, you know. I I would thanks very much because I I did it on my podcast so that's quite rude. Anyway, <laughs> what happened is this, right? What happened is this. You know Deborah Francis White, right? Yes. Yeah, right. Deborah Francis White is on her way to a big feminist gig. That's kind of her thing. She does really big feminist gigs. She's a comedian. She's a feminist activist. And there she is in the back seat of the car taking her to this gig. She's not like me. She gets a private car to take her to gigs and she's looking over her notes and that's when she realizes that she's left her glasses at home she can't see the notes so she comes up with a solution uh it's okay so she says to herself i'll phone my husband tom and ask him to ring the venue and maybe the venue can reprint up the notes in a larger font then i'll be able to see these (laughs) totally fair enough right so she gets her phone and she's squinting to try and find you know, her husband's number, but eventually gets it. Tom rings him. Anyway, she explains everything. So it's Tom, can you phone the venue? Get them to reprint, blah, 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 blah. And then Tom goes, well, actually, Deborah, I can't do that because I don't know what venue you're talking about because I'm not your husband, Tom. I'm Tom Bins. <laughs> Now, I'm just saying. Oh my god! If that's not the most awkward fucking moment <laughs> of your life, <laughs> then I don't know what is. Oh, I mean, the, the, the moral I'm, of that story. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna... Don't look at your phone without your glasses. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. But also, <laughs> if you're a convicted paedophile, don't answer your phone. You know, it's not going to be for you. <laughs> Got to be the most awkward phone call. Oh my in god! History. And you know, I couldn't pick two. I couldn't pick two better people for it to happen to. <laughs> if it had it been me calling Tom Bins, it's not. It's not much of a story, is it, <laughs> Deborah? That's a brilliant story. <laughs> and where did where did the story come from? If you don't mind me asking. Oh well, thank you, thank you for asking. Mm. Deborah told me herself. Oh, immediately after it happened. No, <laughs> she said. She said, and I quote, Michael, I don't know anyone else I can tell this to. And once I heard the story, I went, isn't that interesting? 
because I don't know a single person I can't tell. <laughs> I'm going to fucking tell it to everyone. I'm going to ring my mum right now. Mum, <laughs> listen to this shit. This is phenomenal. She must have known uh, that yeah, telling you would... <laughs> yeah, it's fucking stupid. It's fucking stupid. Tell me you're telling everyone. <laughs> It is. It is the greatest story I've heard. That's in a unbelievable, really long isn't it? Time. You know, yeah. you, you, you literally couldn't make it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm so glad. I'm so glad it happened. <laughs> I'm sure she isn't. <laughs> no, I think she. Uh, well, I think she finds it funny that she's I honestly seen the funny. funny side of it. You know. Yeah, I doubt Tom has. No, 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 <laughs> no. I can't help but think he went. Oh my god, Deborah, his wife's ringing me. I've got a lifeline. Oh yeah, mate. It's all right. Oh my god. Uh, right. So you've travelled the world anyway with with your, sure, your I've comedy. The world. You have travelled. You're you're a jet setting comedian. There's very few people that haven't travelled the world. Well, I mean, you'd have to go to Neil Armstrong. De- define the world. Well, I mean, no matter where you are, you're right. You've got to tr- if you move unless you're born and you never budge, I guess, or you're an astronaut. <laughs> then, then I guess you've travelled the world. <laughs> it's it's literally the only place I've ever been to. Yeah, well, it's like my my parents have never left the UK, so I don't know. Why they, really? Yeah, they've never had any desire to uh, to see anything other okay, than. Okay, where's than... where's the furthest they've ever been? Uh. Wales, <laughs> from oh no, Dublin. They've come to Dublin from uh, from Sussex. Well, I th- I think you will find that's not in the UK. Actually, Paulie, oh. you're racist. <sighs> so. You're saying that Wales is not in the United Kingdom anymore. No, I'm saying Dublin is. Oh, Dublin isn't. Sorry. Yeah, that's yeah. Apologies, my mistake. Well, uh, but yeah, so Wales then would probably be the be the furthest that they've travelled, which is not a lot in the in the grand scheme of things. No, well, it depends where they're based. Where they're based, Sussex. Yeah, that's not far. No, <laughs> it's uh, like 300 miles. <laughs> but you you do, I mean, I'm not saying your parents are like this, and I'm, I bet they're not. But you do, I've met people who haven't travelled very far, and they claim, well, it's the best country in the world. And I have to remind those people that they are the least qualified to ever say that. <laughs> because you not don't, seen it. you literally have no fucking clue. <laughs> uh, I, I was once in... Um, uh, I was once sp- spent a couple of weeks in St. Louis, Missouri, uh-huh. and didn't need to fucking say what state it was in. I don't know fucking know where St. Louis is. And, um, and uh, I was with um, a friend and her boyfriend, and he had never left what they call the tri-state area mm. in his life, mm. which isn't, I doubt that's 100 square miles. No. Which is fucking insane. <laughs> and... Uh, and he just won't just love it here. Just think it's great. It's the best place in the world. Well, 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 it isn't. It isn't. I went. I've been to Italy. Italy shits on St. Louis. I mean, it does. It's fucking. It's amazing. Anyway, um, he said, uh, "Let's go for dinner." So we went for dinner, and we went to a place called, I think it was called something like St. Louis Steakhouse. Mm. And I'm like, really? Anyway, it's my favorite restaurant. Like, You've never left St. Louis. And your favourite restaurant is St. Louis Steakhouse. Went, yeah. Oh, okay. So we went in and he ordered something. I think it was called like the St. Louis <laughs> Steak Sandwich and a bottle of Budweiser, which is made in St. Louis. And I went, mate, fucking order anything else. Just order something different. What is wrong with you? What, why are you so scared of outside? 
But he wouldn't. He wouldn't budge. And uh, they split up. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's a shocker. I, I, think, I think about a week after that, I think maybe she just went, yeah, he's... Actually, he you got a point there, Michael. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have a worldview at all. I'm assuming she must have travelled a, travelled a little bit in her life. Yeah, she has. I mean, she's been over here. Uh, she came over here with uh, another boyfriend. Um, and I met them. They got off the plane and then uh, travelled to London Bridge Station. Mm-hmm. I met them at London Bridge Station. And her boyfriend at the time, this is her second boyfriend that I've met. <laughs> he he was eating a Burger King. And thing is, I knew he had never left America in his life. And I went, oh, for fuck's sake, you eating a Burger King. And, and he went. Yeah, I went, really? You've never left America? And the first thing you do is eat a fucking Burger King? And he went, but Burger King's British. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And and that's what he said. But it's called King. (laughs) No way. Fucking lunatic. Yep. (laughs) Disappointing, isn't it? People are disappointing, Paula. They're fucking shit. Uh, But why would you not want to try? I don't know. I just don't, I don't understand people that, that they're you know they're born in a city, they die in that city, mm-hmm. and you know that's their their whole life is is there. I don't you know yeah, in this I, day I and mean, age especially. To, to go back to Newton Ards, that's one of the great things about coming from Newton Ards is that uh, I don't live there anymore. <laughs> and it, I mean, it is it's one of the great things. I've got this whole background. I've got all this knowledge of a place that I'm never ever ever going to live in again. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I feel terrible. Honest, honest to God, awful for people who were born in London. Because now what? Yeah, yeah. There's nowhere now to what go. Are you do? <laughs> and, I, and I've, you know, I've met some people who were born in London and then they moved to New York. And even that, I go, what's the fucking point? <laughs> like, like it's New York's. New York is London, but in America, it's the same fucking shit. So what I'm saying is, if you are thinking of procreating and you're in London, you must move out. Have Go your baby outside of London. Have have a baby in a in a fucking boring town. <laughs> really, some, somewhere really awful. I don't know, like Tunbridge Wells or St. Wells. St. Albans. Tunbridge Wells. Oh my God, isn't that weird? I'm just thinking St. Albans. <laughs> terrible, place. <laughs> terrible place. At least Tunbridge Wells is quite posh. Yeah, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, I suppose. But anyway, as, yeah. as I said, you've travelled the world. So do you think do you think that comedy travels well? Do you have to when you travel to say I don't know Dubai or Canada or whatever do you have to tweak your material or do you have to write to suit the people generally that you you're generally you do generally you definitely have to tweak it but it's like I said right at the beginning you know I did my Mrs Brown's boys bit to <laughs> Russians yeah. in Moscow and it's it went down really well. I, weirdly, I've done that bit of material three times in Russia. And and it's like, it's never done anything less than really well. And it's like, yeah, because they just go, well, we don't know what Miss Friends Boys is, but yeah. you clearly explained it. <laughs> so we, luckily, we know what shit is here in Russia. So we're on board. Yeah. Well, each group uh, of people is probably now in a gulag or been murdered or, you know, or rotting yeah, Well, somewhere. I mean, Putin... Does seem humorless, so he probably is a big Mrs. Brown's Boys fan. So, probably if you could slag it off, you, you would end up, you know, in a terrible, terrible place. That'd be the ultimate irony, wouldn't it? Mrs. Brown's Boys' biggest fan is Vladimir Putin. I don't know if that's irony. That's straightforward. That's straightforward 
just how the fucking world is. You know, he's a terrible person. Why would he not like terrible things? <laughs> I like it. I mean, he was speaking to, um, you know, what's his chops from China the other day. Oh, yeah. And I, I like the, I like to think that they sat down and went, oh, it was brilliant, wasn't it? When, <laughs> uh, when Mrs. Brown showered pants. <laughs> oh, did you see and, the Christmas episode? <laughs> uh, no, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> So no spoilers, please. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I'm saving it for my wedding night. <laughs> oh, that you know, I think you're just going to be uh, yeah. underwhelming. Well, I mean, put it this way. Not your wedding night, obviously. It, the good thing... Oh, my wedding night's going to be very <laughs> underwhelming. I, 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 I have that planned. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the good thing about it, if you did accidentally watch Mrs. Brown's Boy's Christmas special, it wouldn't be underwhelming, would it? Because you'd be like, yeah, it's not going to get any worse, is it? Yeah, yeah, true. No, it's a bit, it's a very bad portrayal of Irish people, though. (laughs) You know, no Irish people watch it. (laughs) Yes, I'd say that's exactly (laughs) right. And you know what? When people like, you know, Richard Osman have tweeted, and I think he even wrote an article in some newspaper about, like, hey, why is everyone fucking complaining about Mrs. Brown's voice? It's really funny. It's like, that's really easy for you to say because you're not Irish. Whereas we don't fucking like it. So, uh, feck off. Is what we say back home. Indeed, indeed. So, have you had a, do you have a, a favourite place that you performed? Country, what, you know, country, apart, apart from in the UK and... Uh... Oh, Scotland. Scotland's definitely the best place that you can do comedy in and the stand in Edinburgh mm. I mean the stand in Edinburgh or the stand in Glasgow both superb spaces for comedy they're great places to go and see comedy they're great places to perform comedy um, you know I'm, I'm probably never going to have a better time than the, the time that I have every few years doing um, the, the Edinburgh Fringe because it's just it's brilliant to be up there I, I really love I really love it when it's a Scottish audience. Mm. I mean, it's nice when it's a mixed audience, obviously, but um, but there's something about, let's face it, if you're in Scotland, you qu- quite like the audience to be Scottish, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but yeah, I, 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 I don't think, I mean, you know, I've had, uh, I've had the, the great gigs in, like in London, I really love Up the Creek. That's one of, mm, yeah. it's, it's a great place. But, uh, what's good about it is um, it's generally, like sweet to play it it's generally like you can really flex your comedy mm. muscles you can really improvise you can you can work out new stuff but but every so often they'll get an you'll get an audience there that nope we don't want any fucking about <laughs> do your job and you better fucking do your job um so so it it is it's a really good place for comedy um generally there's very few I mean, Swindon can fuck off. There's not a good room in Swindon. It's not a good room in Swindon. I've never been to Swindon and gone, that was enjoyable. No. But yeah. there's very few places that um, I firmly dislike. But Swindon's one of them. I don't know if I mentioned Swindon. Yeah. No, I think I spent about two years on the Magic Roundabout uh, at, one, at one period. Yeah. Okay. It's not not the nicest of, <laughs> not the nicest no, of places. I, I, I mean... Oh, there's a wonderful, I mean, truly brilliant gig in Blackpool. Yeah. Phenomenal. Like, yeah. One of the best gigs I've ever played. Really, really, really. Uh, and yet, 
if Blackpool burnt to the ground today <laughs> and that venue was okay, that's fine. If Blackpool <laughs> would still be the same for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, it's as bad as places go. But, but all hurricanes have an eye. Indeed. So, you know. Yeah. It's like, it's that whole north-south divide thing as well. You know, like the... Yeah. Even in the, the north, you know, when you compare, you know, say Newcastle, Liverpool, those guys sure. to... Mm-hmm. I don't know, Brighton, sort of down my neck of the woods and uh, yeah. even London and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's like two different two different worlds, even though it's... Can I <laughs> can I ask you a Brighton-based question then? You probably um, could. Have you been to the new secret comedy club down there? Oh, no. No, not yet. Not yet. Honestly, honestly, it's such a great venue. Really, it's, I, I actually quite like this. More than quite like that. I really like the secret comedy in, um, in Brighton. But their new venue, it's bigger. And it is it is absolutely better. It's just a great great room for stand up. Yeah, no, I'm a big big fan of comedia. Comedia is comedia is a lovely. Oh, comedia is comedia is terrific. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I keep getting the the, the listings and stuff for the secret comedy club, but uh, yeah, no, I definitely need to mm. pop home and visit. Let's talk a little bit about your writing process now, <laughs> if you have one. Sure, I mean that in the nicest one. possible way as well. Uh, so, how, what's your process for? If you've got a show coming up, how do you how do you work? Right, I'm not massively proactive. <laughs> so what happens is, I have I'll have about ten ideas. Yeah, and on my way to the very first preview, I will write some jokes around maybe the first idea and the second idea, maybe, and that will just about get me through. <laughs> what a first preview to me is because to me a first preview is well it'll be 20 minutes of new material yeah 35 minutes of old stuff or maybe even a bit of you know fucking about what sometimes happens is i've sort of realized right well i've got about 20 minutes here i can work on that on the stage which is the only it's sort of the best way for me to write it's the easiest way i think for me to write Mm. It's on the stage. But what happens often is that McCunnath is a really good example of this. McC- uh, the McCunnath Comedy Festival. Mm. One, you, what, you, what happens is they're an audience that are so accepting and really up for whatever it is you do. Yeah. So you go there with your 20 minutes plus your 35 minutes of old stuff. And you will find that 20 minutes totally gets you through an entire hour. Mm. Because the audience is so brilliant. And then you go to yourself, oh, my God, I'm definitely going to win the award this year because that 20 minutes is gold. And then you do that 20 minutes to another audience and you realize you've got five minutes, (laughs) not not an hour, and it's shit. So so McConnell's audiences will lie to you. Right. um, Because they're carried away with, you know, they're – because they're in a tiny little town that mm, you know yeah. no one cares about until <laughs> once a year. Once a year, yeah. Once a year, kind comedians come and entertain, you know, the sad grey people of McCunnell, <laughs> and and they're so happy that anyone's remembered them that they just laugh at everything. Yeah. But then we realise they've tricked us because they're bastards. <laughs> um, but what will happen after that is. Um, you figure it out. You figure it out on stage. Uh, the, I, I keep talking about the last solo show I did. And what happened was I came up with an idea that um, I thought was kind of a good idea. Mm. 
about how I find it odd that only one person ever decided to be Iggy Pop when we could all be Iggy Pop. Because, <laughs> like, like why, why, can't, why, can't I just, why can't I be Iggy Pop? How come him being Iggy Pop has stopped everyone else wanting to be Iggy Pop? Yeah. And being ourselves doesn't seem that interesting, but being Iggy Pop seems <laughs> phenomenally brilliant. So I thought, I've got something there, but it completely changed because our terrible government decided to gamble on the future of Ireland. Mm. And it's weird how this whole sort of thing about... It, it became a show of completely about identity when really it was supposed to be just joking about wanting to be Iggy Pop. But then it became this actual almost serious show about... Uh, it wasn't that serious. I mean, it was all jokes, but, but it was about identity. It was about um, we have a choice to be good or bad. Mm. Why the fuck? Would we choose? Why would we choose to be Jacob Rees-Mogg when we can choose to be Iggy Pop? And you have to look at Jacob Rees-Mogg and go, "You made that choice. You decided to be this prick in every way. Like he is a prick, and he looks like a prick. Every there's not an element of him that doesn't scream prick. And every part of that was his decision. Why? 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 So it. So I guess that's how I write. I'll come up with an idea. I'm, I'm sure it's a good idea. Then I'm told by audiences it's a bad idea. <laughs> then life itself gets involved and somehow the bad idea wrestles with the terrible uh, world that world leaders Indeed. have made for us. And then somehow... It becomes something else entirely. Win. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. It does. So, so how, how did the podcasting aspect of your... Uh, of your work uh, start? How did it all no, how did it all start initially? No, he, he, I was right at the forefront Wah! of podcasting. Yeah, for once I was I was an early adopter, and um, uh, I started doing a podcast with James Hingley, mm-hmm. and we did a podcast called Precious Little. And here's the thing: I I liked Precious Little, but I didn't like me on Precious Little. I <laughs> I just hated. I didn't. I, I thought I was very blokey and laddie and I, I didn't like myself. So I started to not want to do it. But I didn't want to do it at the same time and it, that it was getting quite popular. But um, so unfortunately, I'm going, oh, are we doing well? Well, let's stop. Um, which is very me, by the way. So I had that. But I was writing blogs at that time, at the same same time. My blogs were doing really well if you can imagine such a thing in 2023, that blogs were once a popular thing. But th- this blog was doing really well. Um, it, in many ways, it, it was probably uh, m- the best representation of myself that I've mm. ever come up with. And uh, Daniel Ward was starting a podcast called Do the Right Thing. And it was a panel show uh, about doing the right thing. Uh, a sort of modern dilemma type uh, podcast and she asked me to do it because I think she liked my blog I think she liked I think she liked the idea of someone who was even fucking grumpier than she <laughs> so, um, and that's fucking saying something <laughs> taking the pressure off <laughs> exactly all of a sudden she looks like the good guy um, but it was you know we had a brilliant run really with uh, Do The Right Thing and then when that stopped and I guess I guess once sort of lockdown finished, I'm like, I should probably do some sort of podcast. But I realised that podcasting had changed so much since, like, Precious Little. Mm. 
like all pod, all comedy podcast. You know the way the joke is, and it has been for years. Uh, oh God, a podcast! It's one comedian talking to another comedian. How boring! <laughs> but it's not. It hasn't been like that for years. Yeah. Even though, it, even though you might get two comedians on a podcast, they're actually talking about like men's health. They're talking about mental health. Mm. They're talking about you know things that matter. And even like when you get sort of like quite blokey podcasts to this day. There's still like you could even look at Joe Rogan, and I, I hope you don't. But <laughs> you could look at him and go, no matter what, he's still talking about issues. I don't agree with his stance yeah, on yeah. those issues. He seems like a fucking horrible person. <laughs> but I just thought no one's fucking about anymore. Yeah. And I just thought, well, I'll, I'll do leg hole. Yeah. Uh, this podcast I'm doing now, and it's it's ten really childish questions, and I ask comedians, and hopefully we fuck about with them. And no one learns anything. It's not a support group for a single fucking thing. It's just funny. It's just jokes and two people fucking about. And at the end of it, we stop. And no one goes, do you know what? I think I know what to do with my life. At the end of the day, they don't. They don't. They just, hopefully they want, oh, well, there you go. That past 40 minutes was quite fun. and was quite funny. And I'm, I'm, I'm so content with that. Yeah, well, it's just maybe, a bit of escapism, maybe, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. Maybe, maybe at one point, you know, I will do some sort of, you know, reflective and deep podcast. <laughs> I doubt it, but um, you know, I might do. You know, who knows? I don't know. I can't. I can't see it happening, to be honest. But you know, who say? No, never say I never. I hope it doesn't. Seems like really fucking hard work. <laughs> and that's the other good thing about leg hole is really easy. Yeah, yeah. You don't even have to edit it. Yeah, it's fucking easy. <laughs> Yeah. People have said to me when I've explained leg hole, people have gone, oh, well, that's easy for you because you just ask a question and then the comedian takes over and they do all the funny stuff. Trust me, that podcast is all about me. I might <laughs> ask a question, but I'm answering it as well. <laughs> so it's it's very much all about me. Yeah, yeah. That's, well, you know, but you wouldn't become a podcaster otherwise, would you? Do you know what I mean? If you If you didn't have uh, that self-centered streak. Exactly. I'm not sitting there silently listening to those cunts. I've got to talk. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about music now. Um, so right. have, have there been any big music loves in your life, be it a band or an, a particular artist that you've, you've loved? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Know it, it's it's the world to me as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Music. Mm. I mean, it's 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 my it's my biggest thing. Mm. Um, I'd say over the last ten years, Bob Dylan has more and more become sort of like the go-to artist. Mm. I tell you, one of the great things about Morrissey coming out of the closet as a fucking Nazi <laughs> um, is that um, you can let him go. Yeah. You know, and it's uh, for people out there who are struggling to let Morrissey go. Trust me, it's brilliant once you do it. You don't have to listen to his shitty albums anymore. <laughs> when his new album comes out, you can't, you don't have to kid yourself that it's good. You know it's not. It's fucking awful. So I, I was pretty much a lifelong Morrissey fan. I'm still a big Smiths fan. Mm. He's not going to ruin the Smiths for me. Not at all. Um, in the same way that, you know, Graham Linehan will never ruin Father Ted for me. You know, it, Father Ted is mine. It's not his. And the Smiths are mine. They're not Morrissey's. 
But it was brilliant, like, you know, whatever it was, six, seven years ago. Mm. When Morrissey just got... It was just... It, you couldn't hide it anymore. He was fucking horrible. And then all of a sudden, oh, you know, Nick Cave's pretty brilliant. Of course, he's, he's, he's always been brilliant. Yeah. Bob Dylan's always been brilliant. All these brilliant artists. PJ Harvey's always been yeah, brilliant. Yeah. All these brilliant artists. You go, why would anyone fucking ever rely on one musician, one songwriter, yeah. whatever? The idea of being a Morrissey fan, it's so unappealing. It suggests to me you don't like music. <laughs> it suggests to me you just like Morrissey. And let's face it, his music is so shit now and has been for years. <laughs> you don't like music. For some reason, you just like whatever the fuck. Do you know what? You probably like white people and only white people. That probably <laughs> is it. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm so uh, completely in love with my music collection. Yeah. I've got very, very, very eclectic taste. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Bob Dylan. I love Girls Aloud. And I say that without any irony. I'm a huge Girls Aloud fan. And lots of stuff in, in between. One of my great loves is heavy metal. I absolutely love, especially what I consider to be classic heavy metal of um, the 80s, really, uh-huh. 70s and 80s. And I think it's, I've said this many times, I think it's literally the greatest artistic expression that I've ever <laughs> experienced. I, re- I mean it. And I mean this because it's music that will never, ever, ever let you down. If you're feeling sad, put on heavy metal because... It's not like putting on indie music. It's not like putting on like fucking Red House Painters or something. <laughs> oh my god, this band really understands me. Heavy metal doesn't understand you. No, but heavy ma- metal is there, already drunk and asking you, do you want to join us? Because we're going to get, we're having a, a good time over here. We don't want you having a bad time. <laughs> join us. We're having a good time. You will never. You know when you've been dumped. You'll never put on Planet Rock and go, oh, my God, they're playing the Scorpions. That was our song. No, it's, no, Rock You Like a Hurricane is not any couple song. Unless there are a couple of fucking brilliant people who will never split up because metal unites them. I was going to say, how heavy, how heavy is your heavy metal love? It's it's probably quite light. So, I mean, if you got Andre O'Neill on, they would probably say, my heavy metal love is quite light. I mean, it gets it gets to Slayer. Bit of quo. <laughs> yeah, bit of quo. I yeah, I really love Dana with a umlaut over the first day. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's probably not very heavy, but it's you know it's heavy enough for me. I love Metallica. I love Iron Maiden. I love. I've recently, I mean, literally only last year, got into Judas Priest. Wow! I bought a box a box of all of their album. And uh, I thought, do you know what? I'll listen to about three of these and probably have a fun time, but then get bored. <laughs> they're, they're up there. They're up there with my major artists of all time now. Ma- major, major artists of all time. Yeah. They have some songs that I don't like as much as other songs, yeah, but I'm yeah. telling you this now. They don't actually have a bad album. They don't. They're, ju- they're just so much fun. And even and, and even sometimes they're properly creatively stunning. Um, there, uh, there's a track on their second album, and it's it's going to annoy me for the rest of my life. I can't remember the uh, title of the song. But what I insist to listeners right now: find um, Judas Priest's second album, and there's a song on it that may as well be the Beach Boys. It's 
and, and and I mean good Beach Boys. I don't mean like surfing USA. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean like surfs up era wow. Beach Boys. It's fucking amazing. I don't understand these people that are not eclectic in their music tastes. You know, they only oh, listen, yeah. they only listen to the Cure or you yeah. know, as you say, the Morrissey. They're very kind of narrow in their their field yeah. of li- field of listening. I just, I, you know, I don't understand it. Why would you be I mean, so narrow minded? There's, there's going to be a great documentary, isn't there? It's coming at some time about not about Morrissey because that'd be tedious. <laughs> Morrissey fans, Morrissey fans are far more interesting than because there there has to be so many of them that have gone. Oh my god! Like they heard the Smiths, make up my life's changed. I'm almost, you know, like all religions, I'm giving my life to this. Now. Yeah. Forgetting there are so many other bands that are fucking so superior to him. And then they get the tattoo. Yeah. And then he goes, you know, I think the Chinese smell of wheat. Whatever it is he says. <laughs> and then they go, oh, fuck. Oh, shit. I've, <laughs> I've, I've marked myself. <laughs> I, I hurt myself for him. It's like, you know. You know, I, I was religious, I'd say, all the way up until I was about 16. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, the penny dropped with me. And I went, oh, my God, why did I believe this? And what I'm saying is there's got to be a good documentary, a good book, in Morrissey fans going, fuck, you know, that was that was a weird time. I don't know if you know this. There's a, there's a really interesting, but often dubious podcast out at the moment called The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. I, I can only assume you, you imagine uh, my opinions of any anti-trans people. Yeah. They're not my favourite people. Um, but, you know, it's it's the podcast is actually a measured sort of debate. It mm. is definitely weighted slightly on one side, yeah. which uh, obviously is always unfair. But what's really interesting about it, it's made by a member of the Phelps family, you know, as in the Westboro Baptist yes, Church. Yes, yeah. So it's someone who's come from a background of bigotry, talking about bigotry. <laughs> and she must have had that moment. She must have had... Like, if she ever meets one of those Morrissey fans like me, <laughs> goes, I used to be into Morrissey. Her, she goes, do you think that's bad? Guess what I used to be into. You know, it's... um. Who knows? Maybe in a few years, some uh, you know, I'll get a proper job. Go, you will not believe what I once used to do. <laughs> really embarrassing. That could be a new project for you, though, Michael. You know, this yeah. this this new uh, Morrissey documentary thing could be could be your next really project. Interesting. I think it's really interesting. I know, and what will be particularly interesting is the people who, that are standing by him, because there's there's no excuse. There just isn't. There's just not not a good. There's not even a good enough excuse to gone. Yeah, I know he's a Nazi, but his songs are good. You haven't even got that. <laughs> I don't know. I suppose, like, even the, the whole Michael Jackson thing is a bit of a little bit of a case in point as well, isn't it? You know, yeah. sort of the uh, blinkered visions well, of Michael Jackson fans of. Of course, I mean, I can't remember which comedian had this joke. It was many years ago, but he compared, you know, Michael Jackson to Gary Glitter. It's like <laughs> that's that's the thing. Wherever you go, you still hear Michael Jackson songs, don't you? But I guess I guess we'd be a lot more accepting of Gary if he'd been a better songwriter. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'd like to see that Morrissey documentary. I hope someone good makes it. I don't want me to make it. That's <laughs> your, your idea. I hope you're going to take the credit for it when it's when it's actually oh, yeah. released. Yeah, I want to be on it. Producer, I want to be. On it. I want to be can... Yeah, I want to be the talking head. To go, well, uh, I'm ashamed of my pants. <laughs> 
You could be like an Alan Bennett kind of figure in the in the background telling the story. One one of my great music uh, facts. I'm not one I'm not 100 sure it's a fact anymore. But here's a fun fact. Did you know that there is one vegan in the Smiths and three vegans in Black Sabbath? Mm. That's a good. That's a good. That's a bit uh, of trivia. Fun fact. Bit of pop trivia. Fact. I don't think. I think Morrissey is now vegan, so that means there's two vegans in the Smiths. And I don't think Ozzy Osbourne is vegan anymore. That means there's two <laughs> vegans in Black Sabbath. But either way, I think the fact that there's equal amount of vegans in Black Sabbath than there is in the Smiths, I think it's pretty interesting. I'm sure I had something in the news recently that Johnny Marr and Morrissey were going to do something together. Fuck off. There's no fucking I'm way. sure I heard that in the news um, uh, recently somewhere. But I mean, uh, you know, I, I can't personally see it happening at any... Uh, any no, point in the foreseeable I, future? No, I think I think, I mean, Johnny Marr is a proper old school, you know, lefty, and and Morrissey isn't. <laughs> and I, think, I think in many ways Johnny Marr is probably in that way more stubborn even than Morrissey is because I just think now the debate's over. He, when he, as soon as he went, actually Nigel Farage is interesting. <laughs> yeah. No, no, debate's over. Oh well. <laughs> So, I mean, would you would you be a gig goer? I suppose in your profession, it would be sometimes a bit difficult to get to gigs in evenings if it you're really working. It is, and it's very disappointing. At the moment, Paula, I'm on a health kick. Mm. Um, when I go to gigs, I like drinking. I like to sing enough so that the band hear me. Good, yep. yep. I like to be l- slightly louder than the band themselves when I sing. I like, to, I like it to be an evening that's all about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I do like to upstage bands when I can. Uh, but at the moment, I'm on a health kick, and that means no booze. No booze. And I have a 75-day sabbatical from booze, and that will end on the 26th of May when I will be going to see Sparks. <laughs> oh, Albert Hall. Uh, well, I am going to see them in the Albert Hall, but I'm also seeing them in Glasgow. So I'm a bit of a groupie. Yeah, no, I saw them. I saw them here. Yeah. on the last tour oh just incredible i'm a, I'm a recent a recent new follower of the of the sparks yeah, boys yeah very much looking forward yeah. to the new album oh wonderful i mean you know uh yeah sparks are um one of absolutely so far up there and my favorite bands and during the hippopotamus tour i think i saw them nine times that's and i don't think i've ever done that with a band in my life to wait this long in my life to become a groupie was Oh, yeah. Fun. Yeah. No, I've done that a lot with the Divine Comedy. <laughs> just done, you yeah, just blitz a tour. But I mean, you know, Glasgow is great for gigs, isn't it? So many amazing yeah. venues in the city yeah. now. I mean, I think I love Glasgow a lot more than Edinburgh. It seems to be a bit more it's, cultural things going on in Glasgow. It is. It's a much more cultural city than uh, Edinburgh is. Mm. That is absolutely true. It's, it's a much more artistic city. Uh, it's a phenomenal place. I love, I love Glasgow pieces. And, you know, even... If you were just to go up there to a gig in Barrowlands, I mean, holy crap, that's that's an experience in itself. I mean, I went to see Arab Strap play there two nights in a row. And even Arab Strap with their, you know, reflection and, you know, <laughs> their sort of, like, you know, their sort of deep solitude and sadness and bleak lyrics. Even then, you could feel that floor wobble. Yeah. Like, fuck, you know. And it's it's an incredible experience standing in Barrowlands. Yeah, I mean even pla- even places like King Tut's, you know, it's just some amazing, yeah, amazing I've never venues. Been there, which is a shame. I'll I'll make up for that. 
But I don't know, the Scottish just, I, I don't know, they have their own thing going on, t- totally, don't they? You know, culturally. Yeah, yeah they, they really do. And I do think that, um, I do think Scottish indie music is, is just fucking amazing. Are you a Bell and Sebastian fan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if you had to do a Blur Oasis thing with Bell and Sebastian and Arab Strap, mm. I'm Arab Strap all the fucking way. But you did, luckily, you don't have to. Do <laughs> and then put the Teenage Fan Club into yeah. the mix. I mean, Teenage Fan Club, absolutely phenomenal. And the Vaseline's, mm. I love. Um, and Eugenius, which is, you know, a Vaseline's spin-off band. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, Pictish Trail. They're wonderful. Yeah, yeah. He's wonderful, should I say. Yeah, and I'm re- I really like um, uh, Lycan Slow, which is Malcolm Middleton's new band. They've got a great new album out. That is exactly what you would expect, I guess. But no matter what, no matter what Malcolm does, I think part of it is exactly what I expect. But it never fails. It's what I expected, but I didn't. I didn't think it was going to be what I wanted. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. Always what I want. Favorite gig you've been um, to? If you could, if you could pick one. Yeah. Do you know what? It probably is Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds in 1995 mm. at the Shepherd's Bush Empire. Someone put a cigarette out on my neck. No way. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, oh, good times. Yeah. It's good. It's really, really good. But you know what? I mean, I, I will say that I saw um, Sparks at the Barbican with an orchestra and they did all of Kimono My Hands. Oh, man. Yeah. And um, when I left, I, I re- honestly thought, and I still think that's what I think it's probably as good as gigs get. It's just we sat, which is not normal for yeah. gigs. But, it, but you know what? There was an orchestra. We don't want to scare an orchestra. <laughs> it's an orchestra played. No chopping up and down. And it was wonderful. And so you didn't feel like you were being shortchanged. And, and, all, and also, you've got Russell's voice, which, you know, he might be, what is he, 72? Oh, yeah, yeah. His, yeah. his voice is 22. Yeah. I mean, even seeing them on stage, you know, Russell yeah. just, you'd think he was like, yeah. his 20, 20, still like a 25-year-old, the way he, yeah, I mean, he, he leaps um, around. He, you know, it's everyone talks about Ron Mail and how brilliant Ron Mail is because they should. Yeah, yeah. But Russell Mail really is what a, a fucking tool to have. Yeah. To, to, to you know, for your songwriting. I mean, he got really lucky that he didn't have to look very far. Ron Mail. <laughs> would you would you do this? Can you write the songs for me? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's 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 amazing. Yeah. No, I think he's he's got quite a, an intense fitness regime. During lockdown, though, he was showing all his, you know, his fitness he was, things. Wasn't he? He was. I, I, I did none of them. They did so much stuff during. They're they're yeah. pr- quite prolific in all they do. Oh my god! You know, yeah, they do. Yeah, they don't stop, do they? That's the thing about Sparks. They don't stop. Music for me is a huge, huge thing as well. The whole, the whole divine comedy thing. Is, that's another yeah, level well, of. Do you know what? I, do you know? What? I'll, I'll I'll just say this one thing. It is a huge thing for me, music, and if I have won influence on my comedy it, mm. it is ween it's the band yeah. ween. and not because they're quite a funny band that's not what i've sort of stolen from them what i have stolen from them is they often write songs that are about something you know that means something but they write they just write a bunch of sort of very silly things uh, in the hope that well people won't really understand what it is people won't get the point and and here's the thing every single one of my solo stand-up shows have been about something and I don't think a single person has ever gone oh I got what that was because <laughs> w- 
once I once I figured that out, but we no one oh I like that. I'm definitely gonna I'm gonna grab hold of that. Yeah, I mean you, you can know, definitely I, tell though when comedians and music fans with their, the intro music generally that they come on stage to, you can tell right. whether that's somebody right. is a as a music fan or not. Do you generally choose your favourite music for coming on stage or is it yeah, cho- I chosen? mean if, it, if it's in a comedy club, it seems a bit, you know, on the nose. But I will choose Teenage Kicks because I wanted to be on the note. Mm. I wanted I wanted to be very obvious where I'm coming from, yeah. right from the word go. And again, back to Glasgow. I once uh, did a gig in Glasgow and the sound guy came up to me and <clears throat> do you want any music played before going? And I went, yeah, you've got Teenage Kicks by <laughs> The Undertones. And he sort of screwed his face up uh. like he didn't really know what the song was. And he went... Leave it with me. I think I've got something. And I was like, okay. What? And I was in... <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And I was introduced onto the stage and he played A Good Heart by Fergal Strachan. Nope. <laughs> nope. That's, that's not it. That's not it at all. No. 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 So, but, oh. it, but what was good about that was it gave me my first five minutes of just screaming my head off. <laughs> so equally, I think that set up my stall as well. I think people are, oh, I get him now. Yeah. He's fucking livid over something that we didn't even fucking know. <laughs> didn't even know about, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And on that note, thank you, thank you so much for chatting with me today, Michael, and giving me your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs>